welcome to the Confidence Mastery Unlock Your Life podcast, covering the most essential areas of personal development for ultimate success, your health, wealth, and happiness. Your host, Natalie Bailey, the Confident Entrepreneur. Natalie is a confidence coach, property developer, and bright red-haired fitness fanatic who is going to take you on a journey to confidently create a more inclusive, more successful, and fulfilled life. Get listening, take action, and unleash your inner confidence. So this afternoon, we are here with Dylan Denetcher, the legacy maker himself. Very nice to meet you all. Thank you for having me. So today I told you I had something extra specially exciting as part of Gold Star Week and all the amazing stuff that's going on with the challenge and we are here, the Unlock Your Life podcast that is going to be released very soon. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much for coming and spending some time with me. You know, I absolutely adore you and what you do. Likewise. So we're here to talk to tell people a bit about how you help to change the world. So Dylan's amazing if you don't know him. He is literally creating legacy and mad millionaires, which means make a difference. Correct. So do you want to share with people what that really means? Yeah, sure. So I think there is this belief that we should progress through life working on our own seeking first to resolve those challenges And then at some stage, we go out to the world and help other people with their challenges. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I kind of subscribed to that paradigm. But actually, all that really happened was not only did I not resolve my own challenges, but I got myself into even more um, problems, particularly financial. And so I was in this perpetual perpetual fuck up of life if you like (laughs) yep Um, you know constantly going from one problem to the next from one challenge to the next getting in more and more debt year on year on year and never getting to a stage where I feel able to help other people and on the flip side of that coin so I then got really really I guess pissed off with it all decided that I'm not on this planet to make money um, and actually I'm on this planet to make a difference and so I gave it all up and volunteered for UNECA, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, Mm -hmm. in Rwanda. And this was off the back of a couple of years' work that I'd done with some African telecoms and and IT companies. So I was in that environment, but realised that, or thought that I didn't, you know, I wasn't here to make money. So, okay, volunteer for United Nations, give all my assistance for free, and more than for free, I was doing it all on my own bill. So all my travel bills, my accommodation, everything I was paying for myself and just volunteering. So it didn't even, you know, rejected the expenses as well. And a very, very short time after that volunteering began, I found myself kind of taking charity and charitable giving to an extent or an order of magnitude that I just couldn't sustain. Yeah couldn't afford and it was all I realized through guilt I was giving money away through guilt these people need it more than me what I very quickly realized after that is that um, you can't give what you don't have Mm -hmm. and so if the entire reason for being is to live a great life and help other people live a great life then then actually you have to do something on both ends of the spectrum. You have to make money and you have to make a difference and you have to make a difference 
in order to make the money. And the two really do go hand in hand. So I guess this is about saying, look, um, making money and making a difference aren't mutually exclusive. Um, You can't really do one without the other. We live in a monetary economy. So in order to make a difference, you have to make money. And actually, in order to make money in today's world, in today's economy, you have to seek to make a difference through the products and services that you offer. That's That's really where Legacy Makers started from, is to help other people reconcile that difference and then do exactly the things that I've done to go and create the the million, two million, ten million pound net worth. It's it's an amazing thing to be able to do and to want to do, because I think so many people, they want to make a difference and change the world, but they don't know how to. It's like, so where do you get started with that kind of thing? This is a really good question. So I've been thinking a lot about this idea of finding your why. You know, we hear a lot about finding purpose and finding why. And I think quite often, particularly when you haven't got anything, and what I mean by anything, you know, maybe you're struggling financially, maybe you're struggling with finding your why, your passion, your purpose, maybe you're struggling in a romantic relationship, maybe you're struggling with your family relationship, with your siblings, parents. Generally, when one thing's going to shit, like a lot of other stuff is going to shit. So, you know, when you haven't got anything, it's so easy to take an academic approach to finding purpose. You know, you sit down and you write down all your values and you try and do this on paper. What is my purpose? You try and figure that out on paper. (laughs) So it's quite right. Carry on. This is exactly the kind of podcast interview I love. We like to keep things interesting. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, let's go. Um, So (laughs) finding purpose has become an academic exercise. It's become something that you figure out after going on a course or you figure out after doing a find my purpose meditation or you figure out in some other esoteric, intangible, academic way. But that's not how you find purpose. How you find purpose, in my experience, is you do things and then you try and figure out how those things that you're doing make you feel and if they make you feel good you do more of them or you do other things that are very similar Mm -hmm. and if they make you feel shit well you try and figure out why they're making you feel bad and if they continue to make you feel bad and there's no chance that they'll make you feel good because it's just not aligned with what you want out of life then you stop doing them yep and the more of that you do the more you allow yourself to be drawn to doing the things that make you feel good and then the more you allow yourself to be repelled without judgment from the things that make you feel bad the closer you get to your ultimate purpose and ultimate why because you start realizing what gives you a positive visceral reaction what makes me feel good on a physical level mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you get goosebumps and you're, you're this, this word, you know, this term buzzing, when you're buzzing, but without having necessarily taken any drugs to get you there, because yeah. actually what you're doing is the drug. And, you know, I, I, I think we have to be careful here that of not setting people up to fail. So this is not about feeling amazing 100% of the time. It's impossible. Which is exactly, as you say, impossible. But maybe it's about saying 80% of the time, I feel really good. Mm -hmm. And whether I'm struggling to get a piece of content out or I'm struggling to push out the last rep in the gym or, you know, there's some kind of self-inflicted stress, I feel good about that stress. And only 20% of the time I feel really shit and I'd rather not be doing what I'm doing and I'd rather be somewhere on a beach doing fuck all. Mm -hmm. 
So only 20% of the time should you want to run away from your existing life, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And for most people, it's 80% of the time that they want to run away from their life, which is why they're trying to find their purpose. So By doing all of the things that are not actually helping them to find their purpose. C- correct. Yeah. You know, it's either drowning sorrows of a shit life from a Thursday night onwards because the weekend starts on a Thursday or it's doing all the academic things, reading the right books, listening to the right audios, attending the right events, but actually not taking the action after the audio, after the book, after the podcast, after the event. So they get the academic learning, but don't then go on this journey of discovery, which really is only a journey that can be engaged on through action yeah taking action is the only way to make things happen it's i think that's like with the law of attraction you can sit and manifest and want things to happen but unless you're working towards those things and doing what you can to make it happen it's not just going to land in your lap is it yeah correct and i also think that people in this, this whole kind of journey of finding purpose and finding why because generally people approach it and come to this concept of I need to find out what my purpose is, I need to find my why, people generally approach that from a place of my life is really shit, I've had enough of what I'm doing right now and I need to find something to help me be more fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And then naturally they lead that leads on to what's my purpose and what's my why and what's my passions and, you know, all the other things. Mm-hmm. So the fact that people come at this from a place of I hate my life or, you know, some resemblance thereof means that people are generally too afraid of getting it wrong because what they don't want to do is go from a shit life to an even worse life yep. because better the devil you know and so when people are afraid to take the action unless they know it's definitely going to produce a positive outcome they get stuck mm-hmm. in a life of or rather in a life that lacks purpose in a life that lacks wine a life that lacks passion yeah because it's a life that's filtered through fear. Yeah, but you can never know that there's going to definitely be a positive outcome. You know, even if something turns out shit, you you will have still tried and you'll have learned something along the way. Yes, and I, I think you're exactly right. I think it's about saying, well, every outcome is a positive outcome, even though the outcome itself might not be the outcome that I set out to achieve. Mm. Um, there's a great book, actually, I've just finished listening to. I've just listened to it three times on the trot it's called thinking in bets by annie duke okay. um brilliant really great audience so she's an ex-professional poker player has won what i think four to six million dollars in prize money it's, and she's just really cool and what she's done is drawn a kind of almost similarities between poker and life and chess and life and what she says is that poker is sim- more similar to life than chess with chess you've got all the pieces in front of you there is a right and a wrong move every, every stage. Go, yeah, yeah. For every go, there's a right and a wrong move. And quite often, if you lose a game, you can go back to the precise move that lost you the game mm-hmm. because all information is available to both players. It's transparent and everyone knows what's, what everyone knows. Yeah. And what Annie Duke says is that actually that's not life. What life is is like poker. And poker... In a hand of poker, you can win a hand, but actually having played really badly. <laughs> yeah, you it's can. just that everybody else played worse than you. Yep. Um, or you can, you know, win a round with the best hand, but you just didn't play it well enough. 
quite often you can win or lose a hand and you don't know whether you should have won or lost or not because you don't know what other cards are on the table. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much unknown information in poker that you can't always link the decision to the outcome. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really powerful for me because it says, actually, if you can't ever link a decision to an outcome, you never really know what the difference between luck and skill is, which means all you can ever do is say, here's a decision I need to make. Here's an action that I need to take. How do I tip the probability of success in my favor? And that's exactly what we do on a trade-by-trade basis. We know we pick high probability of profit trades and we seek to tip the probabilities in our favor. And I think once people get familiar and comfortable with this idea that every single decision they make is a bet and it can't be a guaranteed win or lose, Mm -hmm. but they can assess the probabilities of a win or lose, then how can you ever be afraid to take an action that won't work? Because every action you ever take has the risk of not working. Yeah. And I think that's where people get hung up and caught up. They want actions that will only deliver a win. Mm. And that's fucking ludicrous. (laughs) You're not wrong there. That's for sure. Um, And you make a good point about every outcome actually being a win. Like you say, it might not be the outcome that you wanted, but that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What actually matters is that you took that step and took that chance. Because how else in life are you supposed to find your purpose and get your message out there? And your message is important because everybody has something to share with the world. And that's why what you do is so good because it helps so many people to realise that and get out of their own way. Because like, it's the same for me before I realised what I'm meant to be doing. I'm now doing what I'm meant to be doing. But that took 30 years of figuring shit out. And doing lots of wrong things. And, you know, you've just reminded me, one of the things that when I'm on stage, one of the things I share with people, the principle I share is, one of the principles is to be in the right place at the right time, you have to be in the wrong place most of the time. (laughs) And I think that entrepreneurs like you, like I, like some of our other peers, we're comfortable with being in the wrong place. I'm kind of comfortable with making a decision and it may or may not turn out to be the right decision. Mm -hmm. And I've stopped judging my self-worth on the basis of the outcome. I started judging my self-worth on the basis of the decision, um, whether it's a win or a lose. Um, You know, would I take that same decision again in exactly the same way, regardless of the result? And if I would, brilliant. If I wouldn't, then perhaps there's something more I need to figure out about myself. It's not about beating myself up. And so this whole idea of taking action to find purpose, it plugs you into an iterative process. You take an action, you then understand, did that make me feel good or bad? If it made me feel good, let me do more of it. But the risk is, of course, that you do too much of it. So giving money away for me made me feel good until it made me feel bad (laughs) because I'd done too much of it. And so we have to be aware of the risks of taking something to the nth degree, but not afraid of it. We still give huge sums of money away. Quite often, I feel in my heart that those sums of money are being given away, not through the logical, rational, venture philanthropic process that we've got in place, but actually because I like the entrepreneur, I love what they're doing, I see something in them, and I want to seed their, their project. So I still know that Although we have processes in place, 
to find who we should be investing in and to direct our investment capital, I still circumvent those processes based on what makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you have to understand through this iterative process when that feeling good has become an addiction. That's certainly what happened to me in Rwanda. You know, giving money away became an addiction. And now it wasn't taking me closer to my purpose. It was just keeping me hooked on those positive feelings. So it's tough. I'm 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 never going to suggest that finding purpose is easy. No. (laughs) But if you're you're stuck in inaction because you're fearful of getting it wrong, you know, this idea of wasting time or wasting money is something that everyone is caught up on. You know, what if I do this thing and it doesn't work? I'll have wasted time. What if I do this thing and it doesn't work? I'll have wasted money. Well, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? If you're not prepared to risk (laughs) some time and money, then I feel... A normal life is is what those individuals should be living. You know, if you're not prepared to risk time and money, mm-hmm. get a nine to five. You get at least you're guaranteed a shit life then, <laughs> and you're guaranteed to spend seven hours and twenty four in an office with a thirty six minute lunch. You know, that's the guarantee. Yep. Um, the flip side of that is escape out of that life. It's scary. But it, it is scary. But escape out of it in the full understanding that you could go ten years and fuck it all up. <laughs> And have an outcome that is far less successful, in inverted commas, than if you just stayed in your day job. But on the flip side, you could get 10 years down the line and life could be radically, radically, radically different mm-hmm. for you. And I think that's the, that's the, the risk that people aren't prepared to take. Because they're scared. Because they're fearful. They stay where they are. And it's about having that confidence in yourself to get your message out, to take the risk, to spend the time, to spend the money, to go out and do it. So if it does all go wrong, at least you've given it a go. Yeah, I just I find it like so strange that people say all of this stuff and then they sit where they are and they don't do anything about it. It's like, I want to change the world, but you can't if you don't get out there. Correct. You can't change the world from your office or from your desk No. in isolation. And that's what people end up doing. Yeah. The fear is correctly placed because... Fear keeps us safe to a certain extent. But we have to start understanding when that fear becomes a constraint mm. and when it's not assisting us anymore. In fact, I just did a this whole idea of getting a message out. So I just did some recordings in the studio next door yeah. for next month's content. And one of those pieces was about you know risk in a risk-free world. I think that we are so conditioned and programmed to want to live in a very sanitized, risk-free world. And I remember one of the first inclinations I got of this was shopping in John Lewis with my dad. Like, this must must be like 20 years ago. And I didn't know what the word undersold meant. And on the back of, back of John Lewis receipts, and in the olden days, the receipts were like big A5 yeah. pieces of paper, never knowingly undersold. And I didn't really know what that meant. So I asked my dad, what does it mean? And he said it's kind of a guarantee that you won't be able to buy the same product cheaper anywhere else. And if you do find it cheaper somewhere else, they will refund the difference. So that was my first, oh, wow. So you can come to a shop that gives you a guarantee that this is going to be the cheapest price you'll pay for the product. Mm -hmm. So actually, there's no risk in shopping here because it's always going to, this idea of there being no risk. Yeah. And I just started to notice that everywhere. 
everything was about risk-free, 30-day money-back guarantee, 14-day money-back guarantee, guaranteed results, and so on and so forth. See, this was also in the days of the online shopping channels and yeah. you know, in the flipping six-pack machine that you saw <laughs> being advertised. And, they really work. And they, well, <laughs> and if they don't work, you can get your fucking money back in 30 days. Uh-huh. Um, so the point is that we're so conditioned to be wanting to live in a risk or, or being exposed to a risk-free world that now I think people have a total miscomprehension of what risk really is. is. And actually, if you're living in the developed world, particularly in England, uh, there's no fucking risk. Like, no. What is the worst that could happen? I just sent a message to one of our students yeah. to saying, look, what's, What's the worst that could happen if you do this? And we were talking particularly, she's in a full-time job at the moment, um, but she wants to make the transition to going from a full-time job to, in essence, doing exactly what I do and what our community does is full-time traders and philanthropists. You know, we make money on the markets and then we find places to give that money away to. So that's what she wants to do. And I asked the question, you know, what's the worst that could happen to you? Ten years down the line, you do all of this stuff and maybe you're not where you want to be. But actually, you, if you stick to the job that you're in right now, you only have a perception of what the 10-year plan is. Mm-hmm. But the reality is in 10 years' time, you might not where, be where you we want, want to, to be. be. So what is it that you're actually afraid of? Are you afraid of not being where you want to be in 10 years? Or are you afraid of the additional uncertainty that there is of doing something off your own back and then not being where you want to be in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And her response was, and I love her to pieces, her response was, I get that, but I've just worked so hard to get here. I don't want to lose what I've already got. And we see this in trading Uh all the time. You know, people stop taking risks because they don't want to lose what they've already got. Maybe they don't want to deplete their savings Mm -hmm. or they don't want to take on any more debt or they don't want to risk the family home or whatever. And look, none of this is right or wrong. I'm not suggesting that not wanting to risk the family home um, is a good or bad thing. In fact, at Armad Millionaire Intensive, (laughs) I teach people exactly how not to lose their family homes. It's just a, a, a whimsical example, if you like. But the idea that you don't want to lose what you've already got is dangerous because that stops you taking the risks that you need to take. And quite often what you get is people that take a few risks, get a few wins, and then lock down Mm -hmm. and then not take any more risks again. And so the worst that can happen to anybody is that you look back on a 10-year period and think, "Hmm, Mm -hmm. at least I gave it a go. Yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but actually... At least I've got the experience to take him with me. And the reality is, I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, we paint the picture of not being where you want to be in 10 years. But, you know, I know f- through, just through our students, 12 months down the line, and life is in a radically different pl- place for them, a radically better position there. The trajectory of their financial future mm-hmm. is in a very different place. It's pointing in a very different direction. And I, you get the same with your students and, and the increases in confidence. You, yep. know, you can't build confidence by not doing anything. <laughs> you can only build confidence by taking steps, taking actions. Getting out there and doing stuff and having the right support as well. And I think that leads actually really nicely on too. like people do these. They take these risks or they don't take the, take the risk and then they feel like they've lost their way. 
so find it difficult to find their way back. So you had a similar thing, didn't you, recently-ish, yeah. ish, and then found your way back to doing what you're really good at and what your purpose is. So how did you find your way back when you got lost? So I think that the thing to remember is, and I, I heard this and thought, yeah, this feels like it really it, it applies to me and so many other people. And it, the quote was something like, sometimes you find yourself back where you started, but knowing the place for the very first time. Ah. And so this this idea that sometimes, you know, like, like for example, exactly what we've done. Yep. So in 2018, I relaunched the Trader Training Academy that I'd basically kind of cut off at the knees in 2015 for one reason or another. And from 2015 to 18, I kind of went on a journey of exploration, if you like. And I found myself in 2013 back where I started, back thinking about launching the Trader Training Academy. Now, the thing I could not do at that stage is to start beating myself up as to why I didn't stay there. Mm -hmm. But what I also had to do was recognize that although I'm relaunching something, it's actually with a whole new set of experiences. It's with a whole different filter on life. It's with, you know, two and a half years more of personal development. It's so different in so many ways that even though I'm back where I started, this Trader Training Academy is like, I've never known. It's a million times better. It's a million times better, a million times different. It's like I'm doing it for the first time. Yeah. And you should never be afraid to go back to where you've come from. But as long as you take into that new learnings, new filters, new experiences, and you don't just, you're not in the same, you know, you're not going back to something because that's the easiest option. You're going back to something because it feels good. You're going back to something because you feel like you've learned a lot more. You're going back to something because you can make it bigger and better than it ever was. And a lot of that is based on what we talked about earlier, which was you have to be familiar with what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad. You yeah. have to be familiar with when fear is driving your decision-making and where faith is driving your decision-making. And if you haven't had those experiences multiple times actually you, you you're never really in touch with how you how you feel and it's everything for me is about does this make me feel good if it does do more do of it. it if it doesn't stop doing it stop doing it <laughs> but only after i've distinguished between is it not making me feel good because i'm a bit scared and i'm a bit out of my comfort zone yep or is it not making me feel good because I absolutely don't like eating fucking animals or whatever it is? You know, <laughs> Do I not like this burger yeah. because it's made of a dead cow? Yeah. Or do I not like this burger because of some other reason um, that I could get to? You know, I could get to like this burger if I just overcome my own shit. Yeah. And so you have to distinguish between that. But again, you can only distinguish between that if you've been through iteration after iteration of taking action, checking in with yourself taking action, checking in with yourself. And people are so afraid of taking action just in case they get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then when they get it wrong, which is inevitable with, with action, 80% of yeah. your action is going to be wrong, if you like. 20% of your action is going to be right and it's going to get you 80% of the results. People are so afraid of getting it wrong that they just don't take the action. Mm. And then they remain where they are. And no I think doubt. I think that's a sad place to be. Because then people literally are, they're sad, they're depressed, they're miserable, and they don't see the excitement in life. 
Like, if you hadn't made that decision, we wouldn't actually be sat here today. Oh, I agree. Uh, and, <laughs> and I wouldn't have done half the things that we've been able to do no. in the last year. Um, we just kicked off a project. So water and sanitation are massive for me at the moment. You know, the UN Sustainable Development yep. Goals are everything that we link everything to at Legacy Makers. And right now we're doing loads of work on sanitation. So we're just about to kick off a project in South Africa, kick off a project in Zimbabwe, which is basically building toilet blocks. Mm -hmm. And I've never really understood just how important building toilet blocks was until I started researching it over kind of the last probably nine or ten months. You know, we've always been thinking about some of the more complex challenges, you know, recycling plastic or water desalination plants or, you know, some kind of solar energy or whatever it might be. Yeah. We've always been looking at some of the complex challenges, but it's only when I started looking at, just re-looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and started looking at how how much people are prevented from self-actualization just because, like, they don't have somewhere to piss and shit. Mm -hmm. And I know that that sounds ridiculous. Or it but it's a basic me. human thing, isn't oh, it? Oh, man. And the, the, the impact it has on people's lives, particularly females' lives, and we're, we're big on empowering the female energy you know financially yeah. basically getting the feminine energy fucking rich so that it can take control of where kind of human consciousness goes you know and then yeah. we really get the shift from the the we conscious uh, the i consciousness to the we so looking at all of this looking at empowering the feminine energy brought me right back to well what are the things that stop that happening and one of the major things that stops that happening is toilet blocks mm -hmm. particularly in schools so we're doing that. We just launched a, pro a different project in Zimbabwe around period poverty. Um, so that's been like a huge eye-opener for me. This idea that we don't have those challenges in the developed world. No, we like, don't. Just, there's no way, even if the shit really, really, really hits the fan for us here, mm -hmm. chances are we're going to get a roof over our heads. We're going to get fed. And we're going to have somewhere to start from. Mm -hmm. and even if you're on the streets here, there's like stuff. There's people like you and I go. that will furnish people with food yeah. and drink mm -hmm. till they've got too much. And certainly, the guy that sits outside my Starbucks, my local Starbucks, yeah. like I, I don't often get him the drink, and I'll just line it up for him because when he hasn't got one, when he hasn't got one, because he's just got this constant stream of assistance and yeah. constant stream of help. Now, I'm not suggesting that every homeless person's experiences like that. But fuck me, being homeless in the UK is a far better experience than being homeless in the drains of Brazil, for example. Definitely. Yeah? I've had guys... Brazil as if Brazil. it's one city. <laughs> the drains of Rio yes. is um, I've had guys before, so it's like, no, I've got food. Like, I'm perfectly okay. I've got food. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's... You know, there there are so many people that do want to help and that do help, but it's the, finding the people who need the help the most and then being able to do that. And if you haven't figured out your purpose and made the money to look after yourself in order to give away money and do things and make these projects and make things happen, you're not going to be able to make those shifts in the world. No, absolutely right. And I think Jim Rohn talks about this in a, in a really eloquent way, as, as Jim does. Um, but he talks about if you can't give away, you know, a pound out of 10 or a dollar out of 10, you won't ever give away a thousand mm -hmm. out of a hundred thousand. And it's this real fine balance between, you know, getting strong to give strong, but also giving from day zero. 
but giving at a level which is not going to screw you over. Yeah. So one, one of the things that my wife and I do now, we start every single tax year with a giving budget because I found that me, myself, left to my own devices, I will give far too much away and it will damage us. You know, it will either mm-hmm. damage us in the immediate moment because I just fuck cash flow up or it will damage us long term because I'm not building wealth. I'm not reinvesting the liquid that we have. And so what we do is start with a giving budget. So at the beginning of a tax year, we decide how much we want to give away this year. So this year, our giving budget is £250,000. Now, that £250,000, based on my own criteria and my own filters and my own paradigms, Mm -hmm. that two hundred fifty and my own experiences of giving everything away, that two fifty cannot equate to more than 10% of our net profits. Yep. So once we've decided how much we want to give, £250,000, and I've got enough business history to know what my ratios are, so I know, okay, if that's 10% of net profit, means gross profits have to be £2.5 million. Mm-hmm. It means across all the businesses, if my net profit is about a third of gross, then that means we need to create £7.5 million of revenue across all the businesses for me to be able to give £250,000 away. Yep. Now, in the past... I just would not have equated a giving budget of 250 grand with the revenues of 7.5 million pounds. And in the past, I would have brought in a million quid and given away 250. Yeah. But that just can't work because that then would have represented maybe 80 or 90% of our net profit. Yeah. So this idea that you have to balance getting strong to give strong with giving something away from day zero is important. And the way that you do that is to set a giving target, understand what that equates to as a percentage of net profit, and then what that equates to as a percentage of gross revenues and or gross profit, and then just yeah. go and make that money. That's a really good way to do it, to work backwards. Like... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> We're real people. It's you. No, I know. Thing, like, <laughs> no, I'm a fucking fine. robot. <laughs> It's artificial intelligence, it is not, Dylan. iRobot has not come into no, play true, just yeah. yet. Gutted, actually. I thought it would have done by now. Yeah. Love iRobot. One of my favourite films, actually. No way. I, I genuinely think that that's on the horizon. Yeah, like, with all of the stuff coming out in the news right now. Mental. i tell you what I saw the other night, actually. Um, was a movie called Passenger or Passengers. Oh, I've seen that. I, I was, and I turned it off at midnight because I was so exhausted. I didn't watch, didn't catch the ending, but just brilliant. Yeah. Like really amazing. Absolutely. And not out of the realms of possibility. It's not. Um, I read somewhere years and years and years ago that it was all based on that. I don't know if you remember the Star Trek, that clamshell phone, which looked like a Motorola StarTac oh, when okay. it came out. You're probably way too young for <laughs> the Motorola StarTac. Um, but I remember reading then that a lot of the Hollywood writers get their ideas from the patents that have been filed by some of the big tech companies because the tech companies are filing patents for, you know, futuristic crazy shit. Yeah. Um, And so a lot of what we see in the movies, like video calling when we saw it on Star Trek, is kind of in the pipeline. So, yeah, I don't think that machine, you know, spaceships travelling for 100 years to get to a distant planet is... It's not. I don't uh, think it's it's not in the realms fantasy, of fantasy. It? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, no, like clearly. I think there's so much more tech out there that we don't know about yeah. as well. Yeah. Like no doubt, crazy definitely shit. crazy um, shit. Um, right. Anyway, 
back to making money and making a difference. Making money and making more money and making a difference means that the world becomes a better place and we can have all of this techie stuff. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, look, our target at Legacy Makers is to create 10,000 mad millionaires, millionaires who make a difference so that we can collectively redistribute a billion pounds from the top 1% to the bottom 1%, so to sustainable development-related causes, a billion pounds redistributed. And I would never, ever have even arrived at that life goal had I not had a million other interim life goals that I thought were my ultimate life goal. You know, and this idea that your purpose evolves as you grow as an individual, mm -hmm. as your confidence grows as an individual, so your bank balance grows as an individual, and so your understanding of what you can do grows and what your place in the world is grows. You know, this, this idea that you just adopt a much bigger, much more powerful identity is so true as your confidence grows the only way that you can grow confidence is by taking action. Mm -hmm. And the only, the only real way that you can take action is by accepting that not every decision will result in a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. And then you just go ahead and basically crack on. So that's our goal at Legacy Makers. And it's that, that goal really was formed or was shaped through a conversation I had with John Demartini, like 2010. So a long time ago. And I heard him speak on stage. I didn't really know who he was at the time. He's become quite a, uh, I guess, a close, I would never say friend. He's not a friend, um, but certainly an acquaintance and a mentor and so on. So I had the conversation with him. I'd heard him speak. He'd spoken about an event that he did in South Africa. And a young lad came in through the back doors, but he didn't have a ticket. And the guy was sent away. And then the lad comes back a year later and says, oh, you know, those few minutes that I heard... I went and implemented and, and this year I've been able to buy my own ticket. So look, whether that was marketing hyperbole, whether that was uh -huh. a, a story for stage or not, I don't know. But I asked him a question on the back of that um, at the end of the talk. And, and the question was, look, what stopped you from just letting that boy in and actually letting all those boys in? And what stops you um, just giving all your shit away for free if you want to make an impact on the world? And, you know, this was yeah. years years ago now um and it, this was even before i did the ted talk which was about october 2010 one of the things he spoke to me about was again this idea of getting strong to give strong not giving beyond your means but starting to give straight away and he was the one that really tapped me into this idea that you can't make money without setting out to make a difference mm -hmm. and you can't make a difference without setting out to make money and he asked me two questions number one he said uh, dylan how many people on the planet, how many people's lives on the planet do you wish to change? And I didn't really have a number at that stage. And before I could even think about it or filter it, a billion just jumped out of my mouth. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. Um, and I waited for him to laugh in exactly that way. But he didn't laugh and he didn't flinch. And seeing him believe in my number kind of gave me the belief in that number. Yeah. So I believed it. It's a good number. That's it's a I great laughed. number. Um, but the irony of the whole situation is a few years down the line, I re when, when I introduced my wife to him, I realised that the reason he didn't flinch was not because he believed the number, but because he's um, probably had some work done. 
which meant that he couldn't fucking flinch if he wanted to anyway. But I love you to pieces, um, and this is absolutely no, uh, uh, this is absolutely no judgment on any work that you may or may not have had done, John. Um, but anyway, look, I, I, I digress. So he made it okay for me to become a billionaire because the next question he asked me was, okay, Dylan, so for every life that you wish to serve, for every life that you wish to change in your lifetime, would it be wrong to go out there and build a business that generates one pound in profit for every life that you ultimately wish to go and serve? I'm doing the mental arithmetic in my brain. One times one billion. <laughs> That's a billion. <laughs> no, it absolutely fucking wouldn't be wrong. In fact, it would be quite right. So in that moment, um, and this is what I love about John, he has an ability to cut through to what the real issue is like without even, he didn't even know me at that stage. Yeah. He just knew from the way I asked the question what my big fucking problem was. And that was reconciling, making money and making a difference. And in that immediate moment, he made it all right for me to be a billionaire. And even to think in terms of billions, not just a billion people's lives I want to change, but in terms of a billion pounds. He started it. He he made it all right for me to think in those massive monetary terms. Yeah. And that's where the billion pound redistribution goal came from, because I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm kind of the wrong side of 35. I probably haven't got enough time to build a billion pound business of my own or actually, you know, if... If we're talking about giving 10% of net away, then actually to give a billion pounds away means I've got to have a ridiculously huge growth. And it's yeah. like, okay, this is fucking impossible for me alone. So why don't I use my skills? I've been trading since 1999. Why don't I use my skills to teach other people how to trade the markets, build a community of traders, like-minded, kindred spirits mm-hmm. that actually don't want to be day traders at all. We just want to make money in an hour a week and then give it away in essence. Mm-hmm. Why don't I build that community and do this as a collective? And that's kind of, that's where we are now. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful place to be, but it would never have come without a fuck ton of failure mm-hmm. and I think that's the piece I really want to get across that yeah. you know visions and missions and purposes and podcast guests and influencers you know we all look like we've got our shit together and we all look like we've always had our shit together and I can tell you <laughs> at 41 years old I've had 90% of my life where I've not had my shit together it literally is four or five years where there's just been a massive upswing Mm -hmm. in confidence, in self-worth, in net worth even. And I definitely think that self-worth and net worth are strongly, strongly related. Definitely. Um, And and purpose, you know, coming back to this idea of finding purpose. Yeah, I've been in a lot of situations where I thought I'd found my purpose, but realised actually I hadn't, you know. But now you have. And you're helping other people with that as well. And that links really nicely to our message, which is better together. And if you were trying to do all of that stuff on your own, you probably would fail more. But by helping others to do that, more of you succeed and then you can make a bigger difference in the world. And I think that's really important and probably a good place to end and let people join the movement. Yeah, and I think just one more thing on that. This idea of having a collective and you use the term confidence collective, don't you? Yeah, um, um, better together. Better together. Yeah. And I love that because what that also does it is 
allows me to share, allows you to share, allows people to share when they're maybe not feeling so great and for that to be okay. You yeah. know, one of the things that I really struggled with before coming into this world was seeing individuals who are now my business partners and my peers. And I'd see them on stage or... Actually, I'd give you an example. So Rob and I, Rob Moore and I share the same... We used to go to the same health club. Mm -hmm. Been going there for years. And I would see this guy who I'd known from around town for years and years and years. Um, and I'd see him most Saturdays walk out of the gym fairly early doors um, in his, you know, Jeffrey West in his Italian slim fit suit. And he'd jump into a Ferrari and he'd go whizzing off and doing whatever it was that he was doing. Mm -hmm. And I used to think to myself, fuck me, what does that guy do? Um, like, he's really got his shit together. Yeah. And... I want to be like that guy. And that thought that here's a guy that's got his shit together and I can only be that guy once I've got my shit together stopped me from doing so much. And anyway, the irony of it is that now Rob and I, you know, we share as intimate a business and personal details as you as you can, being mm -hmm. in the same town, same age, etc. Being in similar niches. And, you know, whilst Rob is a million steps ahead from of, of where I am, he makes it okay for me to not feel 100% all the time. He makes it all right for me not to have my shit together. And he's a friend and a mentor yeah. because I share this stuff with him and he shares his shit with me. And all of a sudden it's like, okay. <sighs> Phew. This is, yeah, I, I'm normal. Yeah. And what I feel is normal. And I think that's the message we ought to get across today, that what you feel as a listener in the fear in the lack of self-worth, in perhaps the lack of confidence, uh, what you feel in terms of anxiety about the future, regret about the past, what you feel about, you know, in terms of guilt around what you may or may not have done, what you should or should not have done. Like all of that is normal and that doesn't make you a good or bad person. It just makes you a fucking human being. Yeah. And that is the full spectrum of emotion that you need to feel in life. And if you can just infuse a lot of the negative stuff with just glimpses of positive action, positive affirmation, you know, walking through life with your heart held high, then you start to redress that balance and you spend more of your time feeling great yep. and much less of your time feeling shit because you're normal. Yeah. You know? And that's okay. And that's perfectly that's okay. Perfectly yeah, totally. okay. So anyone listening, it's okay to feel shit sometimes. And it's okay not to have your life perfect because that doesn't exist your flaws are what help to make you beautiful absolutely and if you could see my flaws <laughs> you would know that i've embraced them fully that's what life's about <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you and follow you and um, get involved so the best place the first place that everyone should come to is www.madmillionairemethod.com that is our free beginners class. That is like the entry point to legacy makers. I can't get people to a place where they're at a million pounds net worth unless they come on the beginners class. So yeah. that's the first place to come. www.madmillionairemethod.com for the free beginners class. Amazing. We will put that in the show notes. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. I always love spending time with you. Ditto. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Hopefully there's been some useful shares there definitely definitely so thanks very much to the listeners and thank you to you and go to www.madmillionairemethod.com 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with people you think it will help. And stay tuned and subscribe for weekly episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube by searching for Natalie Arabella Bailey and join the Better Together for a Gold Star Life Facebook community to improve your confidence, network, and life.